0: From Parkway Church in Corona, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm believing you're turning there on your device or in your paper Bible. How many of you are taking notes this morning? If you're taking notes, you're the VIPs. Uh, you can write down this, this term, one new people. One new people. If you're uh, just joining us, we've been studying through the book of Ephesians, this ancient letter written by Paul to the church, and not only to the church in Ephesus, but to the church about the church And let me just uh, bring you up to speed. He's been delving into the gospel for basically the first two chapters that we've been looking at, and he'll continue on. The first half of the book, he really gets in deep into the gospel message of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And to bring you up to speed, he began first by revealing that Jesus has blessed us, those in Christ. He has blessed us in heavenly spaces. It's almost as if Paul is trying to pull back the curtain and help us see the reality that intersects with our own. There's a spiritual reality that's not far off in the distant and beyond space, as we often think as little kids. You know, when I ask my little daughter where Jesus is, she often goes, although this week she said, in her liver, which, which, was, which, was, which was good, interesting. But he spoke of the blessing of predestined to adoption. And that term predestined can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But here we looked at how Paul was showing us that the destination of those that are in Christ is predetermined. And we are predetermined in Christ to be adopted into his family He spoke of the blessing of redemption through the blood of Jesus. He spoke of the blessing of forgiveness. He spoke of the mystery that was revealed, that Christ is bringing all things into unity in himself, some of which we'll talk about today. And then he shared that we were blessed with all these things when we heard the message of truth, believed it, and were marked by the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Until the day he returns. Then he prayed, one of two prayers in the book of Ephesians. He prayed for us. And I believe that when Paul writes down his prayers, he's not just praying for the church in Ephesus, he's praying for the church of all time. He prayed that God would give us wisdom and revelation to know him better. He prayed that our eyes would be open to the hope and the riches of his inheritance. And finally, he prayed that we would know his power. And then he reveals. That Christ has power over all powers, over all spiritual authorities that work and fight for lordship of our lives. And we talked about that. We talked about how the, the manifestation, the outer manifestation of a power, let's say money, is an inner spiritual reality at work that's seeking lordship. He then discussed the bad news. Paul talked about the bad news of our standing before we were in Christ, that we were dead in relationship to God, that we were following the ways of this world, and that I like to define the world not as the earth, but as a society that organizes itself against God. He talked about how we were unknowingly in line with the devil. He talked about how we were deserving of God's wrath, and we often see God's wrath today by God just handing us over to our sinful selves basically says that's what you want, that's what you get. Then he shares because of God's great love for us, he extended mercy and grace and made us alive in Christ. We were dead, but in Christ we are now alive and purposed for good works, that from grace we are saved to do good things and that brings us to the section we're going to look at today where Paul really unpacks what the gospel did for the Gentile people, of which we are a part, and for Israel, that the Lord through Jesus is building one new people, one new humanity. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go from verse 11 all the way to 22. And I'm reading from an NIV version. And I believe it will be on the screen as well. There it is. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, there's another but, another but. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, here it is, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in it. We thank you for the good news that it shares and I pray, God, that what you want to say today to us, you would speak very clearly and that we would have ears to hear, God, So open our minds, our hearts, our spirits. Lord, as we look at this barrier, this dividing wall that you've destroyed, I pray, God, that you would reveal areas in our own soul and in our own lives where we've placed walls that you've, you've called us to destroy along with the work that you've done. We bless your name. This is for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I grew up in uh, the Windsor area, uh, Tecumseh, actually, for those of you who know the area. And it seemed like in that area there was always construction. And I didn't really realize this until I started to drive, but just construction. There's constantly detours, constantly road blockages, closures all the time. It seems like this is the thing to do in cities. If you live in a city, they're just like, let's just construct things and make life difficult for everybody that lives here. We're fixing, they're fixing and building. We were driving back from our vacation um, down in the Sunshine State back in May, and we have been driving for 20 hours. We drove through the night, four children in the back, baby included. I know, we're crazy, we're nuts like that. And we're just at the end, it's coming up, we're in Michigan, coming up, and we're in Detroit area, uh, coming up to about 9 a.m. in the morning, and we're just utterly exhausted, utterly exhausted. But we're close by where my dad lives. We're very close by. Now, for those of you who know, many of you know that my dad um, has been diagnosed with an early onset dementia, and he's, he's declining, and he's not doing well, and because he lives in the States, we don't often get to see him often, so we're trying to make effort to go when we can and more often than not. But we're exhausted. 20 hours in a car, four children. It's a lot, but he's right there. So we thought, you know what? It's just, just a quick detour, just a quick, literally five minutes. You get off the highway, two, two blocks, and he's there. So we get off. We start heading down his block, White Avenue, And it's a nice, quaint little street. All these big, mature trees are kind of like covering the past. And you just kind of, you know, there's a few blocks down. So we're driving, stop sign, drive, stop sign. I look ahead and I see construction. They've blocked off the road. I'm like, ugh. So we're like, okay, let's backtrack around the block. We'll go around and we'll kind of hit it up this way and then back in. Go back that way. No. Road closure. Okay, we'll go back. And I'm too exhausted to think... Let's go further down. And our phones aren't working, just so you know, because we're frugal. I'm frugal. We turned them off. And our SIM card that we used for the vacation just ran out. So we got nothing to even call and say, hey, how far does this road closure go? But the whole road, I'm, I'm going to guess, it was probably a good mile. The cross street was just closed. So what was supposed to be a five-minute detour just quickly at the end of our 20-hour drive turned into like a 20, 25-minute, maybe longer stop. Stop to visit my dad. Road closures, building, construction, cities are always doing that everywhere, even in our area. Homes are going up. Even right now, when rates are as high as they are, they're still building homes. I cannot believe it, but there's constant building happening. And while that is happening, God is building. God is building his church. God is constructing his house began 2,000 years ago, and it's still going on today, on today. But unlike what we build, God isn't building something of brick and mortar. God isn't constructing a temple of stone and even precious metal. God isn't expanding on present buildings to fit more people in walls. God is building through Jesus one new humanity who constitute a new order, who together have access to the presence of God and who together as one are the new dwelling place for God in the world. God is building something that no one else can build. God is building a new kind of people. And it's this mission and vision of building something that Paul had in mind and got him in this spot where he is. If you remember, Paul is in chains, in prison, In Rome, because he offended his fellow Jews, who then wanted to kill him. And so as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Rome for safety, and so he got put in a Roman prison. His fellow Jews wanted to wipe him off the face of the earth because Paul's message was that God was doing away with this old order of things. You'll read in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul will say, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, because no longer would there be Jew or Gentile. No longer would there be circumcised and uncircumcised. There would no longer be nation of Israel, and the rest of the nations, there would be one new group under Christ. Jew and Gentile alike, and it's this beautiful thing we call the church, not the building, the people of God. The church is the fulfillment of God's promises to the nation of Israel through the work of Christ. Old Testament promises concerning Israel are repeatedly interpreted with reference to the church and the new. Let me give you one. When Israel was first brought out of Egypt. Led through the Red Sea, brought to Mount Sinai, where they were being established as a nation. God said in Exodus chapter 19, For you will be to me, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's speaking to the nation, the people of Israel. In Revelation, John quotes this twice, speaking to the church. Let me read you one. Chapter 1, verse 6. He says, To him, Christ who loves us and has freed us, he's talking to the church from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve. And this is the mystery that whenever you read Paul's letters, you'll see him talk about this mystery that that God has revealed. God is bringing all things into unity in himself, not two groups, one. Not two distinct people, one new creation, one spirit, one body, one church. So let's unpack this a bit. See what Paul's talking about here. If you look at ancient Hebrew tradition and the Old Testament, I'm gonna get a little theological, but I'll try to simplify it. There are three creation stories, actually, possibly four, but we'll stick with three. For Sega Ease. The first is what we all know, Genesis chapter one. God created all things, heavens and the earth. It's here that He made people, He made, He made Everything that we see and know, and he gave the people a mandate be fruitful and multiply. I have four. How many do you have? <laughs> be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Creation story one. Creation story two is in happens just after Genesis six. So, mankind, you know, increasingly got more wicked, and God brings about a flood to bring judgment on the wickedness of man and actually beginning to wipe out the seed of Satan. But that's another side thought. And then he begins, so to speak, again through Noah, and he gives Noah and his family this mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And then there's Genesis 11. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, man had rebelled against God and decided to unite against God and make a name for themselves. This was a rebellion, some say, against the command to be fruitful and multiply and spread over the earth. Some traditions actually say, some ancient Jewish traditions say that the tower was man's attempt to build something that could withstand another worldwide flood. So from here, God disperses the languages of the people, and he spreads out man across the face of the earth. And the next scene we have is Genesis chapter 12, where God chooses one man, Abram to build a nation through. This would become eventually the nation of Israel. Now, ancient Jewish tradition holds these as three, so to speak, creation accounts. God would use this man, Abram, to build his people who would be his representatives, his kingdom, and his priests through whom he would bless the whole earth. Now, many of you who have been in church long enough, you know the story. You know how it goes. You read from Genesis 12 all the, way, all the way to the end of Malachi until the time of Christ. You see this Hebrew people failing to stay faithful. Cycle of rebellion and rebellion and rebellion. And through all that, God repeatedly points to and has since day one, since Genesis 1, since the fall, a Savior, a Messiah who would come. And then we get the time of Christ. But what we see around the time of Christ, this is the point, this is where I'm going to, we see a very Distinct separation, a very strict separation between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are those who are born of non-Jewish descent. Ephesian people, for the most part, the Ephesian church was a Gentile church. You and me, we are, unless I don't know your background, we are Gentiles. Unless you're ethnically Jew, we are Gentiles. Anyone not of Jewish descent are Gentiles. So as you're reading the scripture and you hear this word Gentile, that's you and me. That's us. And we see at the time of Jesus a barrier that has been formed between these two groups. A dividing wall, as Paul kind of reveals, of hostility. God's chosen people, God's people, and everybody else. The uncircumcised and the circumcised. Circumcision being an act, a physical act that would display that you're part of God's family. To be a Gentile at that time meant you didn't have access to God. And to be a Jew meant that you were God's chosen people and everybody else wasn't. They were prideful about it. But what God did in Christ and what Paul reveals in this section once again is that Christ broke down those barriers and that dividing wall through his sacrifice. He destroyed them, and God brought the two groups together, making peace. God is in the business of breaking down barriers to his presence. If you get anything from today, get that. The gospel is God breaking down walls and barriers to his presence. Human sinfulness, our flesh, our nature, trying to live apart from God, naturally builds barriers that separate. But God blows through barriers and brings all things into unity. You are more like Jesus when you tear down dividing walls than when you build them up. As a person of Jesus, a follower of Christ, we do more for the kingdom when in our world, our sphere of influence, our soul, we tear down walls that prohibit people or prohibit ourselves from accessing God's presence. Now, what I don't mean, hear me, someone whose mind is going there, I don't mean that we become more tolerant. And I don't mean that we water down the truth. And I don't mean that we live a life of compromise. In fact, when we become more tolerant of sinful behavior, when we water down the truth of God's word, and when we compromise godly commands for sinful behaviors and comforts and desires, we're actually building up the walls that God destroyed. We're we're reinforcing those walls of division that had existed, and we're stepping on the side of them where we are here and Christ is there. Now, some of you, some of us will do this and are deceived to believe that we're doing it for the sake of others. I'm just trying to relate, man. I just want to reach them. I want to be relevant, you know, just come down to their level. But in the end, we end up uniting with and aligning with ungodliness, and we put a barrier of compromise and untruth between us and God. So for the sake of building or breaking down a wall, we're actually building others up. When you are resistant to the truth of God's word and instead you choose to follow the ways of this world, you are unknowingly building up the barrier of hostility and dividing wall that Christ tore down. Sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? Because the enemy deceives us to believing that when we are doing those things in the name of others, that we're breaking, we're just trying to be, be love, man, right? And God is saying, no, that's not how you break down walls. We don't water down the truth. We don't compromise. So, in the first century world, temples were everywhere. The biggest one was in Ephesus to Artemis. You've heard me talk about Artemis throughout this series. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. The Ephesians knew about temples, but what Paul is talking about here when he starts talking about building together is this holy temple to the Lord. He had in mind the temple of Jerusalem, the second temple built by Herod, the great. Now, it no longer stands. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., but the temple in the time of Jesus was central to the life of a Jew. Worship revolved around temple sacrifice. Now, we have a picture here. I'm going to throw it up there. The temple was made up of four courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of priests, and the holy place, or the holy of holies. Now, the court of the Gentiles was the outermost court, and this was where the Gentiles would go. So, if you see this picture, basically, that's the space that doesn't look like it's part of the temple. This center part is the other three courts. But this space over here and that space over there is the court of the Gentiles. This is where people actually set up tables and exchanged money. This is where they set up tables and they sold animal sacrifices because they figured, hey, let's make this easy. People are coming from all over to do some sacrifices. We'll set them up right here. We got the space. Set up some nice tables. Set up shop. Maybe make a little dollar, a little change. You know, help people. It will be great. This is also where Jesus went in and turned over tables. And he drove people out. And you'll remember his words. He says, my house shall be called the house of prayer to the nations. Because that was, at that time, the only place where the nations could go and worship God, unless you were a Jew. Now, the next court in was the court of women. And this was as far as the Jewish women could go. And so this is this space. I'm going to point to it right here. you see that little stairs down Kind of coming down in that semicircle, that space was the court of women. The next court was the court of priests, and this is where the priests would go, and they would offer sacrifices, daily sacrifices, and daily prayer. And then that big, tall-looking one that kind of stands out among the rest, and it's got that nice big door, that is the doorway to the holy place, or the holy of holies, and it was believed that God's presence dwelt there on earth. Once a year, one person, the high priest, would enter there after a process of purification and offer an atoning sacrifice. The temple was the center of the cosmos for God's people. It was it. Now keep that picture up if you could. The historian Josephus said that the Jewish part of the temple, so that basically stone wall you see kind of going around, he says was encompassed, with a partition that had an inscription that forbade any foreigner going in under the penalty of death. Now, in 1871, they archaeologists found the exact wording of that inscription. It said this, No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuring death. Now, imagine with me... You are a Gentile person, which you are, I am, and we're living in the time of Jesus and we're going to the temple because maybe we're God-fearing. And we're on the outer courts and we look up and we see this inscription. God's people can go in, but if I go in, they're going to kill me. Not just punish me, death. This is why Paul's message The mystery of Christ, breaking down barriers, bringing the two groups into one was so scandalous. Paul's message, the message of the cross, the message to us was that Christ destroyed these barriers, the dividing walls that separate the groups and limited access to God. In fact, if you remember when Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain in the Holy of Holies, there's a curtain, was torn in two. It's almost God's like, I'm out of here. Anybody can come. Jesus made it so that all could go directly in through his sacrifice. All. Not some. Not those who have washed up and cleaned up and dressed right and look a little proper. Those who fit the mold. You know, those who swear a little less and drink a little less and party a little less and smoke a little less. You know, there's a a quota. You do too much, you can't. You you don't get access. He broke it all down. And you see this in the life of of Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus goes and what? He offers eternal life to the Samaritan woman from the well. He asks her for a drink. Jews would avoid Samaria like it was the plague. Jesus goes right in and sits down with a woman that nobody wanted to talk to. Jesus cleaned and, and healed those who had leprosy and were considered unclean. He goes and touches them. Nobody would go near them. In fact, you know what they had to do, Lepers. They had to yell unclean when people came near. So people knew those were lepers. Jesus goes and touches them heals them spends time with them. He had dinner with prostitutes. Think about that for a second. When was the last time you invited a prostitute over for dinner? He he spent time with people that others wouldn't be caught dead near. He went to the house of a Roman officer to heal his sick child. He spent time with the oppressors. See, Jesus was in the business of breaking down barriers that prohibited people, others, from accessing God. And he did it through his love and his sacrificial sacrifice. So let me read you again what Paul said in this section now that we have this in the forefront of our minds. Paul says, starting verse 4, "'For he himself is our peace, "'who has made the two groups one "'and has destroyed the barrier, "'the dividing wall of hostility.'" Now imagine the gasp in the voices as people heard this in the time of temples, knowing what that inscription said on the wall. Because the temple, when Paul wrote this, hadn't been destroyed yet. This is about 62 AD. Temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus is the new human, and in him we are all one new humanity with access. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator, that new self, new humanity term, new people. Here, he says in verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Galatians chapter 3, three, twenty-eight. 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Diversity, yes. Differences, absolutely. Division, nope on a rope. Prohibiting access to God's presence, absolutely not. You are not the judge. You are not the king. You do not sit on the throne. That is not your job. All of this culminating, Paul says, in this one new group and Paul says it's here that God's presence dwells in this unified body of believers. No longer does the Spirit dwell in the physical brick-and-mortar space, in a physical location. No longer is God only in the Holy of Holies. A new temple exists where each of us have become the dwelling place of God, So you don't go to the holy space, the holy of holies. You are the holy of holies. We don't go to the house of the Lord. We are the house of the Lord. So just so you know, for a person who steps in these walls and thinks, I better make sure I don't say that word because this is the church. He's not more in here than he is when you walk out these doors. So, if you're convicted to say, here, let me push conviction on you everywhere else. He doesn't stop at these doors and say, goodbye, see you next week. Make sure you purify yourself before you come back. I'm going to be waiting here with the pastor, because that's all he does all day, is wait until Sunday comes back. I, st- I don't ever leave this spot. I just stand here. You are the holy of holies. I invite the worship team to come. So here's the implications for us. Number one is we invite everyone to get in on what God is building. We invite everyone to get in on what God is building because no one is excluded, but everyone is called to be a part. Now, listen, that is a work of God, right? We learn that. By grace, we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. We don't get to determine who comes. I've heard people say, well, I don't know if they would because we're pretty dark people. Some of you are in this building, and we're pretty dark people. We invite everyone to be a part of what God is building. Number two is we do not create new forms of barriers and dividing walls. One of the ones that is prevalent in our time is politics. Now, I got political opinions. I got strong political opinions. But my political opinions do not put up walls that prohibit people from accessing God's presence. Right? Check that out the door if you need to. Have humble, loving conversations. Disagree, but at the end, break bread. Debate, even. But at the end, pray with one another. Right? And listen, church, there's a problem if you who are on the right and you who are on the left can't come together and pray. We can disagree, but let's have some chicken wings after, right? I like chicken wings. I'm a little hungry. We do not create new forms of barriers and dividing walls. Number three is we treat others in light of what God is building. If Jesus died on the cross while we were still sinners dead in our trespasses, if Jesus, when he was on the cross, prayed that that the Father would forgive those who were crucifying him in that moment, how dare we do anything different? We may see someone, we may see sinner, and we may see sinfulness, and we may see darkness and evil, and I believe in justice, and I believe that the heinous crimes should be punished. But I treat others in light of what God is building. At that time, Jews looked down on the Gentiles, but God included them. And finally, number four, most of all, We do everything to grow in sensitivity to the presence of a holy God in us. The holy place, the holy of holies, was just that. It was a holy place. It was a set-apart space. And we are not just called to be that, church. Listen to the words. We're not just called to become a holy people. We are a holy people. And so we need to strive with every effort and every ounce of our being to walk in a set-apart manner because he is in me. Like, all of us would probably imagine that if Jesus walked in the room, maybe we'd be like, oh, man, I'm standing before God. I got to <laughs> put that in the closet. Clean-up guests are coming. Windows, it's Jesus. Right? If Jesus was coming out of your house for lunch today, do you think you'd want to pick up the things that are on your floor? Probably. Like, this is Jesus. But he's not just coming to the house, church. He's in you. So make every effort to grow in sensitivity to the presence of God in you. That means you've got to clean up house. Clean up house. Not because when you do those things, God's like, finally, I can go in. But He's like, I'm in there. Let's, let's make this space a good space. Let's do some work. And all of us have work to do, right? I know I do. So let me ask you this question, and then we're going to worship one more time. I'm going to read a scripture. Here's the question. Where are you in the construction of God's house? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I can't answer that question. But where are you? And what God is building. You know, we've been heard a few times as a prayer team comes to the front, they often reflect on the needs that are being shared, and one of them that is kind of persistent is direction or purpose. I'll give you a purpose right now. You're called to be part of this thing called the church. Like I've noticed in the New Testament, God doesn't talk a lot about careers. Right? talks a lot about the church, what it means to be the church, what it means to be the people of God. You want purpose? Find your spot in the church. And I'm not saying Parkway. What I'm saying is the people of God. What am I called to do? Where do you want me to go? I want you to be my people. I want you to be my holy people. I want you to break down where, barriers. I want you to, to go out and find people and give them access to the presence of God in you. Build bridges Sometimes we get so caught up, and where does God want me to be? Does He want me to take this opportunity, that opportunity? Man, kick that out the door. God wants you to be a holy people. God is more concerned about who you are than where you are. And when you get the who you are sorted out, where you are will where you be will will be where you need to be. You with me? So let me don't you stand i want to read i want to read a section of this from ephesians chapter 2 19 to 22 from the message version and then we're going to worship one more time because we can't talk about having access to god's presence as gentile people without coming and just being in god's presence one more time so here's what it says verse 19 to 22 it says that's plain enough isn't it you're no longer wandering exiles This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. God is building a home, and he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. You fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So, Father, we thank you, we bless your name, and we come into your presence one more time in worship because you are worthy of that honor.